are you? Uh... This is Bear. Who are you? Uh, this is Josh. Uh, Wait a minute. Going on? What's going on? This is Jen. This is Bear. <laughs> this is Bear. Who's that? I thought we were doing graphically novel. We're in the right oh, place. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on. Hold on. Everybody. Everybody. It's cool. Jamie. Jamie. Get over here. <laughs> yes, Josh. What? We're in the graphically novel verse. Oh, there the collider a... must have gotten us. That's right. We have had a crossover event. Both graphic novels, one area, <laughs> as we talk about Into the Spider-Verse. Y'all want to hear some Vandello? Let's do it. Absolutely. Hell yeah. Come with me, I'll tell a story that you might have heard before. Novel, but the same old trouble. Villains always knocking at the door. Pretty pictures on the page, but nothing ever stays the same. Thank you, Vandello, and welcome to one of two graphically novels. My name is Josh Wasta, aka Fallout Fieri, and with me, as always, is my Ada Octavius, my Kingpin. You're Toby McGuire to the rest of the Spider-Man universe. Ooh, it's Bear. <laughs> <laughs> and with us again, the lovely and talented Baronessa. Hello. And uh, this is so exciting for me. I actually get to introduce someone, three <laughs> someones. We have Jamie, Sam, and Josh from the other graphically novel. Graphically novel South? Uh, East Coast graphically novel? Appalachian graphically novel, I think. Nice. I think the South wouldn't claim us. Nice. <laughs> oh, man, you guys have the squirrel girl that messes people up. <laughs> I want to say, uh, first of all, in your previous episode in your feed, you said some really nice things about us, and we appreciate that. We've been listening to your podcast, too, and we've had a great time listening, and it's a, it's a real honor and privilege to get to be on with you guys. It's funny, and I'd love to tell the story of how Jen and I have had this idea. We brought Bear on a little later. But we spent a year and a half trying to get this up, and every once in a while, I just checked that nobody else had done a graphically novel. And of course, right before we're launching, y'all started a month and a half before. I am so happy that it was you three, because somebody else could have been jerks about it. We have had a really good relationship, and I have listened to your episodes. I'm actually, spoiler alert, I'm going to plug my favorite episode at the end of this, because I'm super excited about it. If anybody's listening, there are two graphically novels, especially if you're listening on Spotify and iTunes. I found them both there. Go and check these guys out. And in fact, just listen to both of us in a row. It's great. It's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's double the comic book for your pleasure. But today, we are going to be talking about Into the Spider-Verse. If you don't know what that movie was, you're living under a rock, because it was one of the biggest animated movies of the last few years, and one of the only Disney movies to win an Academy Award. Fantastic, awesome movie. And it was a comic. It was a an event. This is our first 
crossover event in comics on this show. And I believe for Jen, this will probably be one of the only crossover events you've ever really read, which is always kind of different to deal with. True. Let's talk about the movie a little bit because it's very different than the graphic novel. And normally we try to stay away from spoilers. And I've looked at it and man, there's no way. We got to <laughs> talk at least about the basic plot of the Into the Spider-Verse comic because it's dealing with, oh man, how do you even start? So there's a villain called Mordlun that eats totems, and that was a long-standing thing in Spider-Man. <laughs> and in fact, for any of you that are fans of the Dresden series, the Dresden Files series by Jim Butcher, he wrote a Spider-Man comic in which Mordlun comes to attack like Black Cat and the Rhino. <laughs> amazing because it's Jim Butcher. This is about his extended family who apparently is looking to eat all of the spider totems from all of the multiverses and so it leads to this big event where all the Spider-Men get together to fight them. Crazy, crazy, crazy stuff. In comparison, the movie is a lot simpler, dealing with easily recognizable villains of the Kingpin, Prowler, Ada Octavius, who is the female version of Otto Octavius. So, as we do in this graphically novel, we usually go to questions. I have listened to y'all's show, and so I'm going to start with your Josh, just because y'all... Always talk about how he's the little brother and he can't talk. Gosh, the floor is yours if you have any questions for this panel. Yeah, I had a couple questions. I, I will say the movie, I think, done a really good job of being easy to digest for people who maybe aren't huge comic fans. Like you said, it was a decent amount smaller cast than the graphic novel was. And I think that's good. If they'd have gotten too much of the off-the-wall characters, it would have, I think it would have been less appealing to more of the mainstream audience. So I'll give them props on that. I think it was really good. The only thing I'm wondering, though, I know there's talk of sequels, is where do you go from here for villains for a sequel? Like, I'm not sure who you're going to find that's big and bad enough that you're going to need to group 10 Spider-Men together to defeat. So I was curious on what y'all's take on that might be. My vote is not the Inheritors. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably a good idea. Yeah, I'd agree. Time for the comic book, man. Worst villains ever. <laughs> they could do the Sinister Six. Oh, yeah. Sinister Six. Like, what about like a Sinister Six verse where they're pulling the best versions Ooh. of the Sinister Six? They could do that, yeah. That, that would be good. In the Spider-Verse graphic novel in the series, um, the superior Spider-Man is kind of sort of a good guy. What if in the sequel, he's the bad guy and he's trying to eliminate all of the other Spider-Men? So he is the superior and only Spider-Man. That would work. Yeah, that'd be good times. I really like superior Spider-Man. I'm not going to get more into it because mostly you guys say we'll get into characters later. I got a question on that later all right yeah, Sam? Is, no, i was gonna say i mean they they stole kingpin from daredevil for the movie and is there maybe like another like marvel villain they could borrow maybe like a dr doom i'm not sure how the rights work on that but yeah i don't either so kingpin he's a cross marvel villain it's kind of like saying that dr doom is just a fantastic four villain yeah. it's the same way i know you're not a gamer but the if you play anything and you love comic books I would pick up the Spider-Man game that came out last year just because, man, it's so much fun. But Kingpin is one of the main villains in there because Kingpin did a lot of Spider-Man stuff. Where else could you pull stuff? If you're going to deal with the Spider-Verse, then you could throw in time and then you can be dealing with Kang. <laughs> I'm not sure that makes more sense than the Inheritors. <laughs> <laughs> 
you could even do like have a spider verse with the the venom verse we done a we read not too long ago so you could have like it all kinds of good. different venoms they could be be fine oh yeah 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 and then you're dealing with different carnages running around yep. one of them's a woody harrelson carnage yeah yeah, with the with the wild That's hair. <laughs> Jen Bear, you have anything to interject? You know me. I don't know much about these comic books, so <laughs> I really don't have a villain other than what was suggested. And I really like, uh, actually, like the Venom verse in the sequel. That would be pretty cool to see. The Venom verse, I think, would be awesome uh, just to see all the symbiotes together. But I think if you were gonna pick another big bad guy for a reason to have 10, 20 different Spider-Men get together, I think you'd have to go with Red Skull. Oh, yeah, that could be a good one, because then you're dealing with Hydra in general, and you're dealing with Red Skull and then multiverse stuff. Yeah. Because it flashed into my head from the moment when I was reading Old Man Logan and how it was Red Skull that got everyone together there. Oh, yeah, you have to pull all the villains together. Right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. All right, Josh, you have any other? No, that's that's it for now. I'm sure I'll have something else to add later. All right, let's bounce to Sam. Well, I have several questions, actually. I'll just I'll pick one of them. In the comic, Spider-Man 2099, when his alternate was killed, uh, it affected him. Like, he wasn't even like in the same dimension, but it affected him. He gave him like a headache. He was feeling sick and all this stuff. How come it didn't affect the other Spider-Man when their alternates got killed, when other Peter Parkers and all of them got killed? Right. I'm going to guess that that was bad writing. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if maybe something special with, with that certain Spider-Man, because he he's Miguel, not Peter. No, I noticed that too. So we're going a little bit more spoiler-heavy with this, but it is found through the Spider-Verse thing that Peter Parker, R616, Peter Parker is like the ultimate Spider-Man. Obviously, Miles Morandis is the ultimate Spider-Man. He's the quintessential Spider-Man. There hasn't been a comic book of that yet. And you would think that if Miguel would feel those waves that the quintessential Peter Parker Spider-Man would. And I was waiting for that as well, because I've been following this because I'm a huge Spider-Man nerd. And that's a really good question. And I really can only chalk it up to bad writing. I would say that's probably a result of Dan Slott not talking to Peter David. writers not talking to each other (laughs) that's one of the things i find most annoying about big like big summer marvel events is there are those inconsistencies things that don't match up and it it can get a little frustrating so i usually avoid tying or you can avoid parts where gwen stacy had norman osborne's baby back in the day those kind of things too Yeah. I'm sorry, baby, two of them. <laughs> two of them? I didn't know that one. Oh, yeah, that was... Straczynski? Where you find out that Gwen Stacy, when she went to Europe, had an affair with Norman Osborn and had twins. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <Same person. laughs> anyway, moving to Jamie. <laughs> now, are we are we still sticking to strictly comic book questions at this point? No, we could go either way. Okay. Do you think they chose the right Spider Peep to take from the Spider Verse graphic novel for the adaptation to the movie? Do you think they chose the right six Spider people? Good one. Okay. Well, let's go with the people that haven't talked as much this podcast. Let's go to Bear and Jen. Throwing in Spider Ham and the Noir Spider Man are just kind of fun, but they did a really good job for this day and age of mixing everything up. We've got female Spider Man. We've got the young black. Black Spider-Man, we've got just kind of all different backgrounds, and I think that was kind of something that just for this modern time we need to have some representation there for everyone. As a half Puerto Rican, I just have to point out that Miles Moranis is half black and half Hispanic. <laughs> okay. I have to agree with Bear because the comic was so confusing. There were so many similar Spider-Mans that I didn't know what was going on half the time, and that's the art 
because they had the costumes were so similar. Like, I'm not sure who's talking because they all have masks on. I don't know what's going on. So I think in the movie, they made uh, an effort to make sure that each of the incarnations of Spider-Man were very different and very separate so that it was easier for the audience to say, oh, yeah, that's that one. That's that one. And this is the one from our quote unquote universe. So, yeah, I think they did a good job of choosing. I don't think it really mattered, frankly, to me watching the movie, what the different characters were. I just appreciated that they were so diverse and so different that it was easy for me to tell them apart. You had two different arcs to follow. You had Miles Morales, who's young, who's just learning how to be Spider-Man, and you're following that with him. You're you're going through that learning process with him. But on the other end of the spectrum, you've got old, jaded, I couldn't care less Spider-Man, and you're watching him rediscover what it is to be a hero. So I think you had two good, solid arcs to follow. So I think those two characters were putting both of those in there was a smart choice. I refer to them as Spider-Kid and the sweat pantacular Spider-Man. <laughs> Stealing free bagels? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't? That's just right, a trait right. of... If you hit over 35 and there are bagels, you take the bagel. But who doesn't love a bagel, really? Well, was there anybody you would have liked to have seen added? I mean, because, I mean, six is still a lot, but is there anybody missing? I would have liked to have saw the Uncle Ben Spider-Man. Yeah, the only other one that I would have done is I would have replaced anime Spider-Girl with Spider-Man 2099. That's my man. That's what I wanted to see. (laughs) We love Miguel. Back in the day when 2099 was first coming out, it was such a thing that I still want to go and find some Hulk 2099 comics. Yeah, Hulk and X-Men. Well, but I really think that that was the filmmaker's attempt at, again, bringing diversity to the movie. There were a ton of women in the comic, but I think that they used the animated Spider-Girl, Spider-Woman instead of 2099 because of that, because they wanted another female Yeah. Well, and Spider-Gwen is red hot right now. My boss's boss actually was talking about how his daughter loved Spider-Gwen when we were talking, and he's not a comic book person. Like, he really knew nothing other than there was a character called Spider-Gwen. I was like, oh, well, I will refrain from explaining her entire history to you in the middle of this meeting. (laughs) Yeah, that costume is is, is half of her appeal. I mean, it's one of the best costumes in comics. Yeah, absolutely. We went to C2E2 in Chicago a few years ago, and there was this artist that just had an amazing computer-generated digital rendering of her that's up in our room now because it was one of those things that I saw and I was like, God, that costume's so cool. I've got one I would like to see, but it's actually from the uh, sequel to Spider-Verse called Spider-Geddon. Have you all heard of Spider's Man? No. No. I haven't read Spider-Geddon. I have not, no. Okay, Spider's Man is a different part of the multiverse where Peter Parker falls into an an entire vat of radiated spiders. They eat him and take on (laughs) his personality and consciousness, and then they form into a hive mind spider person that thinks it's Spider-Man. And when it shoots webs, it doesn't shoot webs. It shoots a string of spiders that grabs things and pulls the rest of the spiders along with it. That's fantastic. (laughs) Why does that remind me of The Matrix, though? (laughs) So, Jamie, I just want to thank you for my new nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) Spiders, man, it's good. Wow. 
somebody took Spider-Man and turned him into an Ananasi. So there's somebody out there in the werewolf LARP world that just went, oh my God, I have to find this right now. <laughs> wow. I went there with the gamer geekness, but I didn't, I didn't actually verbalize it. Well done, sir. Uh, somebody had to bite that bullet. <laughs> Jen, do you have any questions? Not so much a question, but as an observation, the multiverse. Why is that so hard to read? <laughs> no, I agree. So this loops in to the fact that this is our first big crossover that we've done on this show. The other graphically novel has gotten more used to some of the things if you listen to their Black Hammer episode. <laughs> if you look at it, comics have been around for so long that People seem to think that no one will just pick up a week-to-week Spider-Man comic without somehow doing a major event every year. We have a lot of books on our shelf that are X-Men Schism, Civil War, a lot of these things that are major crossover events. But the problem is that you bring in so many other characters that you may not be familiar with that... If you're not following Luke Cage and you haven't seen the series and Copperhead shows up, are you going to know who that is and why it matters to the plot in general? I think that's actually one of the better parts of media. And there are so many people that come to comics outside of, would you have known who Purple Man was if you randomly picked up a Jessica Jones comic or even an Avengers comic where he was in? Why would you be frightened of this guy? He wears a purple suit. And in fact, in the comics, his skin is purple. Why is that scary? And then you see the first season of Jessica Jones and you're like, damn, that dude is scary. I think that that is the appeal of crossover. Sorry to take the soapbox. Somebody else take it from me. Okay, Josh was being nice. The real answer is the sales go up. All the comic book nerds say we hate crossovers, leave our summers alone, leave our books alone, but the sales always go through the roof. Even the tie-ins that don't fit and that we complained about and say we skip, the sales are even high on those. Also true. I just have to say, and the reason that I made that statement was having never read any of these books before, I found it annoying that almost every other page there was a reference and it said, see this other comic. And I'm like, I'm not going to go look at that other comic. You're not holding my attention. If I have to understand this scene by referring to another comic, I just felt like it kind of pulled me out of the flow of the story. If they made a reference that didn't really make sense to me, but I had to go back and research it. I think that might have been a way they were trying to streamline the story and try to keep the story moving along at a normal pace. Because if you have to stop and kind of do a side panel to explain a lot of those references, I think it gets even harder to follow. So I think they kind of took the easy way. And you like Spider-Man? You should read this one and then you'll get you'll get this reference instead of explaining the reference. So I think it can make it a little bit hard to follow. No, but I think you're absolutely right. They did try to keep the story arc going without bogging it down with too many right. details that weren't really that necessary to the story overall right because there's so many characters they're trying to pull into this that yeah you gotta just assume people are going to know some of this stuff <laughs> right like for example did you know what a captain britain was <laughs> no, no I don't think are, are you asking me i didn't I'm know a, what i'm asking everyone <laughs> i did but i'm a marvel homer and so i think the even more confusing one is does anybody know what a captain universe is no <laughs> 
I was completely unaware of Captain Britain or Captain Universe, but I'm actually more entertained now to go maybe look up Captain Britain than I kind of was by the time I got through all the essentially side quests in (laughs) the Spider-Verse. Okay, Jamie, at this point, it's a head off because, man, so Captain Universe... That Spider-Man with the Infinity Gauntlet? No, the whole cosmic branch of the Marvel Universe has its own set of things. He's from that branch of the Marvel Universe, and he has, it's not galactic cosmic power, but he has cosmic power. And there's one being in each Marvel Universe that has the Captain Universe cosmic power. And in that universe, their Spider-Man, their Peter Parker, got the cosmic power in addition to the radioactive spider bot. That's the one that makes safe house, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that suddenly takes Spider-Man and makes him our complaint about Superman. Yes, very much. That actually leads perfectly into the first question that I had. Other than Peter Parker, what other spider character that you didn't know about before did this series make you at least a little bit interested? I was interested in Spider UK because they already have, it looks like, abilities to hop dimensions. There was a whole big Nova Corps type operation going on where they had a lot of stuff going on. So I'm a little curious to kind of see what that whole world entails. Cool. Sam? I wanted to see more about the punk rock Spider-Man. kind of liked him. And at the end, they had his own little thing where he was playing the guitar with the Venomized police officers. That was pretty cool. And also the Mayday one where the old Ben goes back with her when they go back home. So the Mayday was a series called Spider-Girl, which was... God, mid-2000s. And it is an alternate universe where her dad was Peter Parker, and she is the daughter of Mary Jane and Peter Parker. So if you are interested in that, there you go. You can go and find Spider-Girl. It's actually a really fun series. I'll probably read it. I think she dates Franklin Richard, actually, because it's all the kids from 616 Modern Day to the future. So it's kind of cool. I think now she's dating a Harry Osborn. Really? Yeah. But he's a mutant Harry Osborn. The son of Liz and Harry was also named Harry, Harry Jr., and was a mutant. The guy that I think, especially from the comic book, he wasn't in the movie, was Superior Spider-Man. I love that guy. I love his over-the-topness, his arrogance, how pretentious he was. Every panel he was on was the best panel of that page. I just, I love that guy. Have you read Superior Spider-Man? Yeah, and actually, there's a new series, a Superior Spider-Man series, uh, by Christos Gage. That's really good. Really? Yeah. Oh, I he's love a, this. He actually stole the Inheritor's cloning technology, and he's got all these clone bodies of himself. And he's relocated to San Francisco, and he's trying to be their Spider-Man, the Superior Spider-Man. Oh, my God. Maybe the only good part of the Inheritor's. <laughs> All right, Bear? I would have to say I was actually really interested after watching Into the Spider-Verse on following Gwen's storyline. I would yeah, I would love to like go back and read her stuff just because that was very interesting to me. Just in her universe, Peter Parker died and she took up the mantle and just to see how differently they handled it with a woman in the suit. And then the other one would be, it was from the actual comic was... I can't remember his name, the, the one that was actually the mutant, where he actually had, like, forearms and was, they were spider hairy and he had actually mutated into a spider. That one just seemed really entertaining to me. Because in the end, was the one, Yeah, I think so. He In the end, he was one of the sacrifices that they were trying to do. Yeah, the uh, other. Because he was big, powerful. He's actually the most powerful of them all. Now, he was a clone of Peter Parker. So let's take a second and talk about the clone <laughs> saga. <laughs> do you really want to do this? <laughs> yes, because this okay. wrapped up something from the mid-90s that a lot of Spider-Man fans like myself in their early 40s, like myself, 
still hold some issue with. There was an event called the Clone Saga in which there was the Jackal was a villain that cloned people. And so you found out that there had been this clone of Peter Parker that was out there forever. And he was blonde and he was the original Peter Parker that had lost his memories and then came back. But there were multiple clones. So there was Ben Riley, who Ben Riley from another universe shows up in this. In the 616, he had died. And then there was Kane. And Kane is another clone, and he was the one that was the other. And he was the one that somewhere in Spider-Man's history, he had grown more arms. Uh, see the X-Men Spider-Man cartoons from the 90s for that storyline in a great way to watch that and in fact <laughs> that is one of the things that i appreciate the most about into the spider-verse is that it finally killed the clone saga 100 percent and for all and made it all somehow worth it. actually they can't let it go i read a lot of marvel still ben riley is back no! <laughs> and kane is back and kane is currently the jackal <laughs> I've wasted my life. <laughs> As an aside, I do have to say, you keep saying the Jackal, and all I think about is the West Wing. Sorry. Oh, CJ Craig doing the Jackal? Yeah. Yeah. You keep saying the Jackal, and I just keep thinking back to the Bruce Willis movie, honestly. So That's where, that's where my mind was. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right, Jen, was there any other Spider-Men that you were interested in? I went into this thinking I really liked the movie a lot more. I still do. But from the comic, I was really interested in Silk and what her story was and where she went from that. That is actually another question on my sheet. So if nobody has objections, I will go into my second question. Silk, for those who have not read the comic, we'll just go over a really quick overview. Silk was bitten by the same spider that bit Peter Parker after it bit Peter Parker. And so she is linked with him. And when they're in the same room, they want to jump each other's bone in a big, bad way. My question was, is there any version of that character that can be put into this PG cartoon movie that makes sense? No, but I still find her interesting. I, I agree with you completely. They, I find her interesting as well, but that's the behind-the-counter, you-have-to-be-18-to-purchase <laughs> comic and movie, I believe. What if instead of Peter, that, that spider that bit Miles in the movie, had bitten a teenage girl before she got before it got to Miles. And so it now Miles is... in the sewers? Sure, it's comics. Well, yeah, yeah I get Kane, Kane, Kane is the jackal right now. All bets are off. Um, <laughs> but, so, so in addition to Miles, like, going through puberty, having his weird attraction to, you know, Spider-Gwen, having to deal with his spider powers, now he also has to deal with his weird attraction to another Spider-Girl who is next door, who's in his universe with him. So maybe that's another wrinkle for the next movie. I like it. I do too. Well, it's, it's you know, there are layers there because you're also dealing with adolescence and, you know, sexual awakening, awakening and, you know, and then the added layer of this weird spider connection. I don't know what you would call it. <laughs> <laughs> You could do funny scenes where he gets close to her, and instead of being friendly, he does the shoulder touch and venom blaster. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, oh, Adelaide's so awkward. We've been watching a lot of Big Mouth. And there will be hormones <laughs> flying like spider webs. <laughs> 
That's not the only thing. I can smell it already. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> just, the line was there, and you just kind of went, oh, what's that? Have you met me? They haven't. <laughs> we have now. <laughs> My wife, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> well, can we can we ask some, some movie questions? Yeah, go. Go, go, go. Okay, um, I found the, the movie to be... Um, one of the most visually striking movies I've ever seen. Um, and not just for what it is itself, but also for the way it, it tried to bring in like the feel of a comic book. So like the, for the story itself, the storytelling, it was very newbie friendly. But for the comic book fans, like even like they had like some of the, some of the, pa- the uh, see, I said panel. I went to say panel. It's it, like the way like in the 80s, the panels would get like misprinted. You have that weird, like, red... They even got that in the movie. There's so much there. And the way they slowed the frame rate down. So it's even, like, a comic reader's brain. You feel like you're looking at a panel sometimes. They even had thought bubbles in it sometimes. Yeah. And the way the spider sense was the Ditko line. But not in an intrinsic... Like, not in an intrusive way. Like, you didn't really notice it. It's just... It was so organic that you just went through the scene and, you know, you went... Like, there are people that I know that don't like comic books that love this movie, you know, and they went with that. Like, it's so, you're absolutely right. The way that they put that together and the way that they displayed it, you know, there were obviously active choices to be the most natural way you could go for everyone to enjoy it. They did a really great job with it all. And did oh, you also, notice? Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I, I was going to say, another little a little subtle thing is that they tried to tell us all throughout the movie that Miles is not in the 616. He's not in the main Marvel universe. There were subtle clues all throughout the movie. Like, like his dad is not you know NYPD. He's PDNY. Right. Yeah. And the and like the cola brands were all slightly off. And the even like the the delivery guys and they, were, they weren't FedEx. They were Red X. All these little subtle things. I was I just I found myself looking in the background so much. Well, and and that's a genius way to do it to stage it in that universe because then you also don't have to pay licensing fees, right? <laughs> um, and and so. Somebody may dismiss that as, oh, that's a licensing thing. But if you go back to Ultimate Spider-Man, they did the same things there, and they were the same name in the background. Oh, really? Yes. Like, I'm a big fan of the Ultimate Universe, and uh, if you go back there, the the brands and everything else are not the same. They're a different universe. <laughs> well, And it lets you kill Peter Parker. Man, but only after, like, 60 <laughs> issues. Uh, I mean, there was five solid years of Peter being in Ultimate, and the way that he does things, you know, we're going to get into a sidetrack, but if you have not read Ultimate Spider-Man, it's so good because they really do him more as a teenage boy. Like, by issue 13, he tells Mary Jane that he's Spider-Man. Because if you're a 14-year-old boy, you know what the first thing you do is? You tell the girl you have a crush on that you're a superhero. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Now, now that's... Now- that's a, that's still Bendis writing at that point, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Because Bendis wrote for two years, because even when we did our first episode and we talked about the Ultimates, that was two years after, and Bendis was still... Oh, no, that was the first title that Bendis was not in direct control of. See, I, I like when Bendis is interested in stuff, but when Bendis gets bored, things are unreadable. Well, you can say the same about just about anyone. Lee, you can say the same thing about... Man, especially Whedon, and we were talking earlier about Ellis. Ellis is great, but if Ellis is doing it for a paycheck, you can tell. <laughs> Which, by the way, Jen, 
you're about to get really excited. Jamie told uh, reminded me of something. Ellis wrote James Bond comic book. What? Yeah, you're I getting them for your what? birthday. And they're good. They're my I'm I'm see I have a love hate relationship with with James Bond. Uh, I love spy stuff. I love over the top spy stuff. But I don't love the way women are treated in James Bond story. Warren Ellis does not do that. Well, um, that's, see, I thought we were gonna have an issue because I thought you were gonna say I have I have trouble with Warren Ellis because. <laughs> 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 but, no, but Bond, but, I don't care. That's fine. You can have trouble with Bond. I don't care. <laughs> well, I, do, I, I generally like Bond stuff. I just I hate the way women are sexualized, the way they're treated, the way they're just ob- objectified. I don't I don't I don't enjoy that. I find it very off putting. Warren Ellis doesn't do that. We get dark Bond, we get violent Bond, and we get um you know not sleazy Bond. And some of the best spy stories that I've ever read, especially in comic books. Awesome. Stick around and wait for our uh, Atomic Blonde episode, because then you get to see a decent female James Bond. And the guy who wrote that series, Anthony Johnston, is really good. I like his stuff. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, have you guys seen Atomic Blonde? I have. I haven't. Oh, not. such a great movie. Like, it's a great interpretation. The uh, The comic was called The Coldest Night, and it's about... The two weeks leading up to the fall of the Berlin Wall and all the spies in Berlin at the time, and it's really good. So if you if you have a problem with if you like Bond except for the women stuff, man, pick that book and movie up because damn. Anyway, little off top. Uh, anyone else? Any other questions for the? Oh quorum? heaven forbid we went off on a tangent. Oh my. <laughs> never happened. I've got another uh, question about the visual design of the movie. What did you all think of the kingpin? The, yeah, the character <laughs> design of the kingpin. The no neck kingpin. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was it was very um, it was very comic booky to me. But I think also because um, Vincent D'Onofrio in the TV series uh, for Daredevil has made like the best kingpin that I could ever imagine in a real life person. So kind of, you know, in my head, I went into the movie theater with him as kingpin in my mind and to see the in this um, into the Spider-Verse version of the kingpin was very um, it was probably the most comic booky aspect of the movie for me. It was the one of the main things that pulled me out of it, out of the kind of the realm of the comic book of a movie, sorry, um, because the rest of it, you kind of forget that it's animated, even though it is kind of fantastical. Um, it was really that character that was kind of over-the-top comic booky. The one thing that I will say on the Kingpin is in order to make kind of a um, tribute and uh, uh, in memoriam I really wish that they would have basically done a Michael Clark Duncan uh, kingpin and had somebody, you know, voice him close um, just because that actor has passed away. And his kingpin, until Vincent D'Onofrio's, Vincent D'Onofrio's was amazing. But until that point, um, Michael Clark Duncan was amazing as kingpin and probably one of the best parts of the uh, of the the early 2000 uh daredevil i agree with that do you remember the the kingpin from the old incredible hulk tv show i do not bear i have not yet had the opportunity to go through and rewatch <laughs> those i uh, i've had this conversation with people before like i remember watching them as a kid um and so I'm sure if once I saw it again, I'd be like, oh, yeah, no, that's cool. But no, I, I, I can't picture it in my mind right now. 
Well, at, at at some point, the show ended, and they transitioned into making like annual TV movies. And one of the movies was the one where the Incredible Hulk crossed over with Daredevil, and the Kingpin was the bad guy of that movie. And it was John R- R- Rice Davies, Gimli, played Kingpin, and he had <laughs> this weird ponytail thing instead of a shaved head. It was so... It was I am so down to see this. Yeah. I gotta go back yeah. and watch all this stuff. I will, I will only see the professor from Sliders. <laughs> Exactly. Sliders reference. <laughs> I thought we were the only ones. Oh, God, no. Sliders, man. Oh, my God. Love that show. We watched it all the way up until Charlie O'Connell was on that thing. Oh, my God. Where, like, uh, uh, yeah, where where the one O'Connell had, his character had died and fused with his real-life brother who played him. <laughs> got bad. These are the kind of shows that I get my wife to watch, so... Silence. (laughs) These are the reasons why I drink. (laughs) All right. Any other questions? I have one. I have one more question. So in in the comics, why did the Inheritors choose Spider-Man? Why did they want him to be the totem? Couldn't they be different? Or is it because of the spider web? I'm going to guess, and and this is just a guess, but I'm going to guess it's because they had caught the, the main spider totem thing but yes the master weaver but yeah that's what i understood as well is that they they already had him and they're like well if we can get rid of all of them then we control everything there's other superheroes in the the universe i thought could have been more powerful or whatever get more power if they devoured well they said they had the animal theme right also you don't want to mess with the hulk web yeah there you go (laughs) (laughs) that would be bad but yeah okay that makes sense yeah i I took it that once they had uh, captured the master weaver that they had a direct line to find the other Spider-Man in the other universes. So it was really easy for them to hone in. And once they had started uh, consuming their life force, I think they had a little bit of the spider essence in them, which made it even easier for them to, you know, follow that rabbit trail. Okay. That's how I took it. Well, and I, and I would say, too, that the, the the big difference between the movie and the, the comic book is that in the in the comic book series, the villains aren't the point. Uh, the, the less brain cells you use thinking about the inheritors, the better off you are. The whole point is to get all the spider people together. It's the visual yeah. spectacle and the fun of having all these different varieties of spider people. Yeah. Whereas in the movie, my Miles is the store. I mean, the Kingpin has a nice little, you know, his family drama thing going on. It's fun, but like the whole thing is about Miles. And the story is more the, the point than just like the fun of like the visual gag of having all the spiders. All right. Yeah. I'll, I'll also say at that point that that was a such a smart move because uh, like Jen said, you know, when she was talking about the masks and, you know, you couldn't tell anybody apart, even if they took their masks off in a lot of the Spider-Verse, <laughs> the comic stuff, you're just going to see Peter Parker again. They all look identical. And so, yeah, the to make it in Miles' world and then to bring in these different people um that is actually a part of that is my last question which is uh stealing horribly from y'all's uh graphically novel is there any casting choices would make different voice wise because i'm a fan of the new girl like the the, and, and the fact that they got uh 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 Jake Johnson, to do the voice of the old sweatpants Spider-Man, made it for me. Like, we were sitting in the theater, Jen could attest, like, he started talking, I'm like, that's Nick. 
And so I know who that Spider-Man is. But is there any other choices you would make for certain voices in the in the series? And go in our order. So, Josh, take it away. Uh, no, I was I was actually happy with everybody. Uh, same with you, though. When the first time I heard Old War Out, Peter Parker, I was like, that's Nick from New Girl. I was like, that's so great because even his voice... He just sounds wore down. Like, you know, he's eating frozen burritos for dinner and stuff. Like, you know, this dude's just, he's, he's not living well at this point. So I, I, that was great for me. Uh, but no, I, I don't think there was any other changes. I, I think everybody did a great job on it. Sam? I agree. I think I think they had a really good cast. I wouldn't change nothing for it. Jamie? I have one. Um, I would, I don't know who he had to play, but I would want Donald Glover to be in this thing because... The whole the whole idea for Miles came from the episode of Community where Donald Glover got out of bed wearing Spider-Man pajamas. And there was the big fan pull to have him be the new Spider-Man when they relaunched The Amazing Spider-Man, and it didn't work out. And so I would just have loved to have heard Donald Glover's voice. Maybe if he just did, does like the Childish Gambino songs throughout the movie. I just think Donald Glover should have been involved. Well, and that's funny because he is the Prowler in Homecoming. He he plays the character who is the uncle of Miles uh, in Homecoming, like when he gets webbed up and he talks about how he has ice cream and like whatever. Th- that character is supposed to be Prowler eventually. So yeah, it only would make sense for him to at least do the voice of the Prowler. But that's the thing is that Donald Glover's voice is not that intimidating, like down deep, like... Yeah voice you know so it would just be him making his voice deeper and marshala ali was fabulous as aaron i mean as the prowler i would not want anybody else to do that voice but i just i mean donald glover should have done something i don't i don't care what i just i would have loved to have seen him involved in this somewhere i agree i I agree with you too sorry i was off in another window like googling spider-verse stuff um (laughs) no i i really enjoyed the the vocal cast that they had for it. I thought they did a really great job. Um, I really off the top of my head couldn't really pick out anybody that I thought needed to be changed. And I haven't seen these other shows that uh, I didn't watch New Girl. So um, I'm just going to go with, yeah, just stick with what they've got. Jen? Um, I too uh, enjoyed the cast um, of the of the film as it stood. Um but I do, you know, I hadn't thought about it before, but I appreciate um, bringing up the fact that um, Donald Glover should have had some something, even even if it w- was using Childish Gambino in the soundtrack. I think that might have been nice as well. Um, but as far as the casting, I, I think it was it was great. I enjoyed it. Yeah, going into the soundtrack, I was listening to it today, and it's not like my normal type of music, but uh man like it invokes everything in fact the first song on the soundtrack has that prowler sound that they keep using like that was sampled from a song in the beginning of the soundtrack like what like so people will always equate that sound and that song and that vibe with that movie and that that's just genius um the yeah uh, and the fact that they got Nick Cage to do noir, um, 100%, like, even when the first trailer came out and, like, it only had him tipping his hat and saying one line, I'm like, was that Nick Cage? <laughs> like, I was so into, like, 
oh my god, did they get Nick Cage to do Spider-Man Noir because that would be the greatest thing? Or did they get a voice actor to sound like Nick Cage? And then you find out that, nope, that was Nicolas Cage that just decided. And he's such a big comic book fan anyway. It's amazing. But yeah, uh, man, what a great voice cast. But uh, yes, Donald Glover, uh, definitely. Uh, the only other thing that I would say, Gail Simone has actually an amazing voice. So her as either, um, you know, even doing the 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 uh, a background voice or something like this could have been a great opportunity to bring a lot of the uh, artists and writers in. And Gail Simone did some great work on Spider Gwen, so I would have loved to seen her like either voice spider gwen or just something in the background but other than that you know and bringing uh credit where credit is due um that would be the only thing that i would add well maybe they can get in the next one there we go all right anybody else have we exhausted well, our question well i think they might be able to get gail simone back she has uh ended her marvel exile um she's been writing domino for the last year or so right which so she's made i need piece. to pick up because i've heard it's amazing because Gail Simone is in general amazing. Her run on uh, Batgirl. It's good. Yeah. Uh, and actually, uh, if you haven't watched the uh, new Batwoman TV series, I'm I'm not huge on the Arrowverse. Like I started on the Arrowverse and then lost it after like three seasons and then got into Legends of Tomorrow because Constantine went over there. Um, but Batwoman is really good ruby rose is doing an awesome job and if you want to see a world without a batman they're doing it really well over there anyway that's my i have one can i have one last question yeah yeah okay is this the best superhero origin story ever for miles for anybody no no for anybody we're talking about is is spider-man the best origin story for forever i mean mean, this movie is this the best superhero origin movie ever made you're talking specifically about miles because everybody else is introduced like yeah in in flashes Yeah, yeah man i to put me on the spot not thinking about it I would say yeah. Um, I really like Tommy McGuire's the first Raimi Spider-Man. Um, but by the time that the second one hit, I was I was done with the origin. And then the only complaint I had walking out of Homecoming uh, was, man, I'm tired of teenage Peter Parker. Because by the time I got into Peter Parker, I was already you know a, a teenager, but. He was in his 20s. He was an adult, you know, Um, and I can't think of any other origin because even like the stuff that I love, like Jessica Jones was not an origin story. They started her after and some of the best stuff starts them after. Uh, Yeah, the only like movie superhero movie that I that really pops into my mind is Iron Man. That's what I was origin story. Yeah, Yeah, I I was. I think I'd have to go with, uh, like, as far as the movies go, I think I'd have to go with Captain Marvel. Okay. Captain Marvel was good. Uh, I, I'm, I'm more along the lines with Jen. Um, if it's not this one, it's probably Iron. Um, although I've got a real soft spot for Batman Begins. Um, not a flawless movie, but it's a lot of fun. I'll give you that one, too. I yeah. do I do loves me some Batman Begins. Yeah. Hence why Bale is at the top of your list. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but that that list took a lot of discussion <laughs> to get everything ironed out. Well, but I, I feel like you didn't take into account the obvious casting direction of they have to have good lips. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we, we didn't think about that part of the face to work with. <laughs> but yeah, that didn't come up. And they have to have a really good voice like this. <laughs> 
I think you're using the word good pretty loosely there. <laughs> I don't know. West is pretty far down your list, and he didn't have a grovelly voice. Yeah, Clooney didn't either. Oh, yeah. Well, Clooney's further down your list than West. <laughs> he really is. He's still doing all right. I caught, I caught part of the uh, Batman and Robin on TV the other day. I was flipping channels and I saw it on. I watched about 10 minutes of it. And I was like, that's why he's at the bottom and changed the channel. Like, I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't watch more of it. I, I love really telling this story Arnold because... Out, yeah, as Mr. Freeze and I was doing all the puns. I was like, nope, I'm out. <laughs> I love telling this story because I, I lived with a guy that we went to movies, like, constantly together. And we saw the first trailer for Batman and Robin. And all it showed was in the first trailer was that Arnold Schwarzenegger was going to be uh, Mr. Freeze. And my friend, Jerry Boxman, said, and I will freeze Gotham with my giant freeze ray. And then later, <laughs> we went and saw the movie. He actually said it because it was an actual thing. <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, it, he almost got up and walked out. Because <laughs> he had made fun of it months earlier with the same line that actually happened. I'm not even sure Arnold's the worst part of that movie. Uma Thurman is, I don't, she's making lots of decisions with her, with her part there. I, I don't even know what to think about that. I don't it's think there was anything. Bane. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, poor Bane. Poor Bane. <laughs> From breaking the bats back to that. All right. Any other questions or uh, final wrap-up time? Wrap it up. All right. So um, our question here on uh, on Graphically Novels, normally, uh, would you continue reading this? Obviously, this is a crossover event. So we're going to do a two-part question in honor of our guest. A, did this make you interested in reading Spider-Man comics moving forward? And B, what is your rating on the Batman scale? Start with Josh. Yep. All right. I'll go first. Uh, yeah, definitely piqued my interest on some of the Spider-Man that I'd never came across. So definitely we'll look into that. Uh, as far as grades, I'm going to break them apart. The movie, uh, I'm going to go with a bell on that. That There wasn't really any big flaws. That was a really good movie. Uh, the graphic novel, just because it, uh, I think it lost its way a little bit, uh, but you still got to see, you know, uh, Spider-Ham. So I'm going to Affleck on the graphic novel just for Spider-Ham. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sam. Yes, I I will continue reading. I have read already read a bunch more of a Spider-Man anyway. So, but then the, on my grades, I gave the movie a bell and I gave the comic a Keaton. I gave it a little lower than Josh, just because of all the different Spider-Mans. It was hard to follow, and uh, the time travel thrown in with other dimensions just really really confusing <laughs> on that end and it's time travel are you saying time travel somehow confusing <laughs> not at all <laughs> <laughs> all right jamie um i have continued reading um i'm a monthly reader of uh, amazing spider-man friendly neighborhood spider-man uh, miles morales spider-man um yeah I, i've continued reading. um i even fought my way through spider getting mostly for spiders man and spider ma'am there's another universe where aunt may gets bitten by the spider and becomes spider <laughs> ma'am yeah. okay um, please wow. at least tell me that they bring her back to the universe where spider girl is to reunite her with uncle ben spider-man <laughs> no they're not thinking that hard about it damn it <laughs> but and then the real does... question becomes do they then have the weird like oh we're in the same room and we're both spider-man and <laughs> <laughs> But she web swings while holding a large wooden spoon. Um, but yes, uh, wow, <laughs> wow, that choices that's, were made. That's yes. Spider Carmen. That's my mom. <laughs> but, <laughs> 
but I, I have continued reading. Um, I'm a little hit and miss with some of these folks. Um, Bendis kind of lost interest with Miles toward the end, and it got pretty hard to read. Um, but a guy named Saladin Ahmed took over a few, uh, I guess about six or seven months ago, and it's pretty good. I'm reading, I'm reading Miles again. Um, as far as the movie goes, um, this is a bail as hard as you can possibly go. Um, I love this movie. Um, I you don't know how happy you made me when you told me this is what you picked for the crossover. Uh, this is this is a top five movie for me. I, I can't sort out what is my favorite movie of all time, but this is in the running. I love it. I find it emo- to be emotionally powerful. It's visually striking. I love it. Um, the graphic novel is another story. Um, it's cut, there, it's got fun moments. I think I'm going west though. Um, yeah. it's got all the flaws that a summer event can have and villains I don't care much for plot that kind of falls apart it's got some fun moments with alright Bear uh, I have to agree with Josh I'm definitely doing um, I'm doing bail for the movie and uh, Affleck for the comic um, would I keep reading the comic um, there's bits and pieces but I've I, I Spider-Man is not you you know that Spider-Man is not on my like top 5 list of superheroes and I I personally think that we've kind of been inundated um with movies by Spider-Man we've had what 8 9 of them something like that now at this point um I I'm just a little bit sick of him I I think that there you know Hollywood could have spent a little bit more time on other superheroes besides Spider-Man personally um but I definitely think that these were great, um, great movie, great graphic novel. Um, There may be other Spider-Men that I may be interested in pursuing, um, but it's not going to be at the top of my list for reading. Jen? Um, I'm actually going to go with Jamie. Um, I would say the movie would rate a bail for me, and I agree. The the movie stylistically was impressive and um, really a standout. Um, as well as the story in the movie being compelling and just, uh, I think, overall made it um, really a great watch. Um, the graphic novel really didn't hold my interest that much, and I would definitely have to go with the West with that. It's confusing. There's time travel. Um, you know, the, the art is good, but because you're dealing with I mean, in a couple of panels, there were so many Spider-Men in the panel. You're like, I, I have no idea who these people are. And I really, how I, why do I care? <laughs> but, you know, no, I don't think I would read more. Um, maybe <laughs> Miles Morales I might read because I think that's an interesting character. Spider-Gwen I might read. But, yeah, the crossover kind of was a was a, a downer for me. Yeah, I'm uh, so I'm going to round this out to say. And, and as I've said before, man, just one of the best animated movies I've ever seen in my life. Um, just the Jamie, what you were saying, the way that they kind of slowed stuff down, the way that they moved with um, with kind of what the reader would do. Some of the visuals, the the music, everything's bought on. Um, I've been a long time Spider-Man fan. Um, I pick up uh, a long time ago. I stopped picking up individual issues uh, and started moving to graphic novels. Uh, hence why we need, uh, you know, floor to ceiling bookshelves in our living room right now, um, because we are so full of graphic novels right now. And why I needed to make a podcast to try and support <laughs> my habit uh, of uh, of these graphic novels. But um, as far as uh, the comic, there have been better crossovers it wasn't 
by any means uh, the Clone Saga, which is my low bar. Uh, but I would probably give it a solid, uh, just because it brought me to a lot of the, the stuff I like about Spider-Man, um, stuff with Silk. I'm like, uh, okay, you're, you're there to make Peter horny. I don't get that. Like I get the story and it was something that I was reading in the comics when he discovered her and opened a vault that she had been stuck in forever and it was a whole thing um but yeah i mean i this did reinvigorate my interest in spider-man um especially miles morales um spider or gwen stacy um i even collected the first couple of silk which are in my collection um yeah it's it, it's a fun read, um, and as we've said, it's not it's not an important read. It's not something that's going to change the world, but it was a fun read, which is kind of the point of comics most of the time. All right, any other comments? Thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, no, absolutely. Uh, again, thank you. Uh, we're going to go with Appalachian graphically novel on this. You can call <laughs> our graphically novel whatever you want. Um, by the time this airs, this will be the second crossover uh, because we will be recording in November with uh, you all, and we release a lot later than you do. So <laughs> uh, you will be the first. This will be the second. Um, definitely check out the show. The one that I would recommend 100% is the Injustice episode. Uh, it's a comic book that's very near and dear to my heart, but I also think, having listened to most of your episodes, it really encapsulates uh, kind of your your back and forth. There's a lot of Jamie saying that people's opinions don't matter, which is a very <laughs> thing to do. Uh, I I always enjoy when the little brother gets squashed down because I'm the oldest <laughs> brother, but at the same time, his name is Josh, so I got to stand up for him. Uh, there's a lot going on there. Uh, but uh, are there any other projects that you guys are doing you want to plug? Uh, sure. I actually, I have a, a second podcast uh, with another uh, set of guys that I'm not related to and I'm much nicer to. Um, <laughs> it's, a, uh, it's a movie review podcast called Nerds of the Roundtable. Awesome. And it, I, and it is spelled with a K. It felt clever when we came up with it, but then it, like we have to explain it every time. Like, yes, it's like knights with a K. So it's nerds. It's Knerds, yeah. It's it's clever on paper. It doesn't work so well for an audio format, but <laughs> it's already in iTunes, so it's too late to change it. Awesome. I'll pick that one up. Uh, yeah, so the rest of this will be the first episode of the second season of Graphically Novel, uh, our Graphically Novel. Uh, but uh, the next episode is going to be Atomic Blonde, which we have already told our co-hosts here to go ahead and check out because, man, spies and craziness and jen is super excited in a way and, that she hasn't been since happy and Charlize theron just kicking ass and taking names how can you not love that also well, true and if, professor if x you, with hair if you are a fan of the ultra violence oh it's so good so good <laughs> <laughs> yeah kind of like kingsman level anyway this has been graphically novel and graphically novel. We're so <laughs> glad you've listened. Uh, and really, there's nothing to say, but take it away, Vandello. Come with me. I'll tell a story that you might have heard before. Graphic.
perfectly novel But the same old trouble Villains always knocking at the door Pretty 